Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest show on And indeed, welcome back to The Greatest Show Unearthed. Once again, it's Wednesday, and we're back to help you get through the midweek slump. It's Talking Terror. I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you back to this heavy hitter episode, where tonight we're going to be discussing the late Wes Craven's 1984 classic, A Nightmare on Elm Street, where Freddy was born and our nightmares were never the same. So I'm excited to be talking about that movie later on in the show. But as always, I am joined by... The hopefully not sleepy, all the beautiful Goldie Keith. Oh no, he fell asleep. Hey, what yeah. is up, everybody? What a joker! How are right, you? Right, total comedy, man. <laughs> I am good. I am good, my friend. How about all you guys? Excellent. <laughs> also joined by the Mad Monkey, fresh out of tapioca, ready to invade our dreams, mm-hmm. Monkey. Hey there, Fright fans. This is your host, the Mad Monkey. So happy to be back again. Sorry I had to take a week off. I had to take care of, but here, here I am back to take care of all of you lovely fools and geeks out there. Oh, I missed you guys. What's up, bitch? Oh, we missed it. <laughs> you missed a good episode. I will say that. Probably one of my favorites. I, I, I went back and heard it in playback, and yeah, man, you guys had a really solid episode last week. Yeah, just... Amazing, one of the rare ones where we just we have a tangent, but at the same time it works. Uh, but we're also joined by the demonic doctor tonight. He brought the hypnosis. Thank you for coming. And yes, and see, you talk about the quality of last week's episode, and that is why uh, I do the the very careful film selection that I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a rare case where the horror talk can go into overtime when we can still fit in the entire movie in 30 minutes. A, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of thought goes into my selections. A lot of thought. <laughs> a lot of Dan Aykroyd is involved with that, too. Hopefully he wasn't. <laughs> Gave a lot of love last thank week. You. Thank you, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> National treasure. Maybe 35 years ago. Maybe. Yeah, maybe back in the 80s. <laughs> Once 1990 happened, everything kind of went downhill. The National Treasure of 1988. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he had 1989, and then that was it. You know, the clock struck on Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> but as always, <laughs> glad to have all you guys back here to talk about the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, but as we always do, does anybody have anything you want to talk about before we get into our news of that? I have one thing I'd like to bring up, um, just because I just caught it this past week, and the new trailer for season three of HBO show Westworld dropped, and I was just impressed as hell with the tra- trailer that I saw, just because, you know, King, you and I both have watched seasons one and two, and mm-hmm. it's just this this new trailer for season three blew me the fuck away just because it came out of nowhere, I wasn't expecting it, and it looks like the show's going in a completely new direction, it's got some 
new things going on, and it's got some just really interesting, awesome, awesome science fiction looking <laughs> fiction shit that's getting ready to go down. It looks really fun. <laughs> Gotta admit, really did. They have to go in that new direction, mm-hmm. which I'm glad they're doing, not just kind of sticking with what worked the past two seasons. Yeah, so I'm gonna what I've heard is they're taking it out of the park. Oh, Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and that's how they ended it with season two was yep. them actually getting out of the park, and now it's going to be like you know I'm just curious how are they going to work all this into you know what's going on in the real world at the time while at the same time still trying to be tied into the park in any way, shape, or form. I, I, yeah. That that's what I'm really curious about is are they com- gonna, completely going to drop the park or is this just their angle? You know, so I don't know. Either way, we'll see, man. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy Tyrannosaurus is running around L.A., man. I love it. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum just shows up for no reason. Yep. Yeah. You know, first there's running and screaming. I mean, for who's and odds, and then there's running and screaming. <laughs> and then there's Goldblum just wandering around. You know, just going, I don't know what's happening. This uh, this is so weird. I predicted this. Somebody just listened to me. <laughs> I'm just going to lay over here with my shirt open. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody want to take a look? <laughs> okay, great. Lame. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It's Jeff Bobblum. You take what you get. Um, okay, so yeah, Westworld Season 3. and It's coming. The trailer dropped. Uh, Ghoul, do you have anything? Uh, no, not that I can really uh, think Shopper. of the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It happens. I know. Listen, I just comment <laughs> on shit, man. <laughs> that is true. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't search the interwebs for for stuff, you know. Yeah. Nope. You like the comment, and we love you for it. All right, Doc. Uh, so, what do we have tonight for our horror talk segment? Well, since the monkey was talking about trailers, there's some of that to talk about. So, uh, the day after our show last week on Thursday, the trailer for the upcoming uh, James Cameron produced uh, Terminator film. Uh, was released. Did you boys get a chance to watch the Terminator trailer? I'm assuming you all saw it. I think we talked about it on the message. I don't want to take any shit that I didn't like send you a link to see the trailer because we were going to talk about it tonight. So I I don't apologize in advance. I, I tried to watch it, but you never you you never sent me a link. Yeah, he did. Don't start that with him because he did. <laughs> Touchy subject. So did anybody did anybody see the trailer for the Terminator film? I did not, I have. so I'm kind of out with this one. I Honestly, I didn't have a chance to see it. So Right, Ghoul, cool. I, I heard you say that you had. What were your thoughts on the trailer for the Terminator film? On the Terminator film? Uh, yeah, the Terminator film. <laughs> film, that's called Terminator. Yes, Dark Fate, Terminator Dark Fate. I think it's what it's called. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Dark Fate. Cool. <laughs> would you like to know what I think about it? I would love to know your thoughts. I'm waiting with bated breath. <laughs> Take it deep. Take it real deep. Uh, no, listen, man. It was a uh, it was an interesting trailer. I mean, it showed you what I guess people want, which is to see Linda Hamilton back as Sarah Connor. Um you know, little glimpses of what the idea, I guess, is for the new Terminator. 
which seems to be a hybrid of the T-1000 and a T-800 um, all together, uh, where it's two separate, you know, the liquid life form seems to be separated from the exoskeleton, so you can take the, the one off the other and have two Terminators. Um, like Venom? Kind of. Uh, I I guess in a in a weird sort of way, I guess you could say like Venom, you know, where there's a, a another form inside of that initial form. Besides that, uh, yeah, I guess Arnold looks old, and uh, you know, well, listen, man, I'm I'm one of those few people that actually wanted to see what they were doing when they decided to reboot this thing. As much as I might think that the girl that plays uh, Daenerys in, in Game of Thrones. Wasn't all that great as Sarah Connor. She's real easy to look at. And, you know, the film itself seemed to be going somewhere. It had a three-movie arc that they were trying to work into there, and they only got one film. And that kind of sucks, because I wanted to see where that was going, not see a bunch of tired old people come back trying to do things we've seen them do already. Mm-hmm. What did you think Fair about enough. it, Doc? So... so yeah. The Terminator, for me, it's one of those series that has had so much middling results over the years that, sure, uh, you know, now, like, James Cameron, you know, is involved again in a production role, uh, even though he's truly elbow deep in his Avatar world. But the, by the, return, of Linda ha- the, the return of Linda Hamilton... Uh, sure. Um, he acts. It just came out yesterday or today that uh, there that, that John Connor will be in this film. That it will continue the John Connor story. Uh, that this is going to be R-rated. That it's very violent, and all of this. But like, you know, it's for me to have any interest. Like this, this is going to have to be really good because I feel like it's one of those brands that has been so diminished that I just feel like it's in that territory where, oh, we're just going to keep making these until we get it right, no matter how much garbage we put out. And I feel that that's where the Terminator name has kind of been lingering for a long, long time now. So I hope it's good. Um, I don't have high hopes. Um, I just feel it's one of those franchises that's just grasping its straws to try and figure it out or to try and get it right. And it's a big enough name that they keep getting the opportunity to do it, and that doesn't just fall by the wayside. So uh, my hopes are not high, but you know, I'm, I hope for the best, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, like the which was the last one that you saw? What's that? That's a good question. Which one was the last Terminator that you saw? T two. Okay, so wait a minute though. Hold on. Okay, wait a minute, man. Okay, how is it that you have any ability to comment Whoops. on any of the quality of the other films if you haven't seen the other three movies that followed D two? Okay, because all right, let me rephrase what I'm saying. All of the readings that I've done about the Terminator series has told me that uh, that there have not been good movies. I do not have a personal so opinion on the movie. You don't make your own opinion, because I have not... man. You just kind of no, 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 read no, no, other no, no, people's no. shit, dude. Well, I didn't see the movie, so I don't have a personal opinion. I am reading so about the movies. So then don't comment that on it, see. man. Well, can I can you make formulate... better? Can you make better, can... bro? No. No, but, uh, but I also don't want to. And <laughs> you can't even I'm watch it. Formulating... So why? What are you talking about? 
I'm talking about the fact that based on what I've read about the Terminator movies, it doesn't excite me. It doesn't excite me for another one is what I'm saying. You know what, man? I read on the Internet every now and again that there are people that believe that the Earth is flat. And you know what? I think they're idiots. So it's not flat. That's wow. that. Wait a second. Watch wait, 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 wait. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Watch the movie what do you mean? and make your own opinion. Slow down. What do you mean the Earth isn't flat? What is that? I totally thought it was. Totally thought it was. Wait. Did it, did, it, did it start the what West Coast? What drugs are you doing? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> you sent them to me. <laughs> what did I? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and, and by the way, <laughs> and just so we're clear, <laughs> um, my name. Sober. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Unfortunately, we know that I am. So, yeah. just, for, yeah. just for the record, my name is Porter Hall. Yes, indeed. Yeah. For those well, for the authorities that might be listening. Well, I'll jump in and say the last one I watched was Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, and I thought it left it there at a decent point. But, Ghoul, you continued watching the series, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay. So, Unfortunately. So, yeah. So, okay. So since, exactly. So since You're you one of the people that told me okay. that they stopped, No, you know I what, though? But opinion. that's the thing. All right. So here's here's the problem. Okay, so when I say unfortunately, okay, what I mean by unfortunately is, is one, I didn't like Terminator Rise of the Machines. I thought that that was just a, a poorly made film that, that felt like a forced sequel. Um, Terminator Salvation, I felt, was supposed to be the movie that we all wanted to see. We've all talked about for years, oh, the War of the Machines. We're mm-hmm. going to finally see it. We're going to see this dystopian future. We're going to see what they all went through, and you kind of don't. Um, nope, not at all. So, so, so that was kind of a bummer and a letdown. And then five, you know, the the Genesis film was it was what it is. It's a it's a reboot. They reinvented the whole entire thing. They fucked with the timeline because guess what? It's like Back to the Future, except with nasty robots that shoot and kill you. So you can do whatever you want whenever you're altering the timeline, and you're just gonna make another timeline and blah 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 blah. So I kind of liked what they were going with that. So like I said, for them to go back now and be like, oh well, that movie didn't make enough of money and blah 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 blah. You know what, man? Give those guys a chance. Let them produce what they were going to do and see if it makes money in the long run. Because I know the film did actually make money. It turned a profit. It just wasn't the profit that they wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And it wasn't a bad movie. It done a lot better than uh, Rise of the Machines. Mm-hmm. And the So Genesis oh, yeah, I mean, movie. come on. I actually like that entry. Well, Rise of the Machines was a you know a pretty weak movie, but I, I really really did dig the ending where it gave us you know where it led us to John Connor picking up and you know becoming the leader of the resistance un- unknowingly unwillingly. <laughs> well, we don't see him become the leader of the resistance. We see him pick up a microphone and go, "Oh well, this is uh this is John Connor here," and uh, just so you know, you know, I guess uh, I, I I know what's going on here because my crazy mother told me all about this, and my uh, <laughs> my girlfriend that I didn't know was eventually going to become my wife. Uh, well, you know, she uh, her dad actually invented these killer robots that my mother was talking about all this time. 
That, that's the extent of watching John Connor become the hero that we've heard him to be all these years. <laughs> yep. Believe me, watch Genesis, man. The, it turns yeah. everything on its head. It is the way to go. It does. They were definitely yeah. going in the right direction with it. So, we'll see what happens with Dark Fate. Uh, is oh, this so Dark exciting. Fate? I can't wait. Is it another one of those movies that's ignoring everything past part two? Like Halloween did, like a lot of movies are doing? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> Well, I'm surprised they're right even bringing part two into it, considering that that was kind of so much over-the-top action. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, Terminator, uh, you know, which is a classic of its time, uh, but Terminator 2, T2, was like a fucking global phenomenon. Like, there's no way Fuck yeah, that they're going to – there's no way they're going to uh, not go with what happened there. I mean, one, it had it had the, the – gra- of its time, the groundbreaking special effects of its time – um, yeah, that was just like that was just big budget action to like the limits of what could be done at that time when Arnold was at like the peak of his powers. Um, you know, that movie is just it's a it's a tent pole action film in the history of movies. Uh, I don't and see I, how I, I was saying I don't see I how you can that. ignore that. I do agree with that completely. The problem is I feel like you have more to work with and play with as far as making a serious movie if you're just going from the first film as opposed to going off of that second movie. You know, where the second movie ended up going, how the second movie ended, you know, again, we've seen where those sequels go. But if you actually take the first film only and take it for what it was at the end with her going off to the mountains, you now get to reinvent everything, you know? You get rid of whiny Eddie Furlong, you get rid of, you know, hasta la vista baby and thumbs up to each other and high five and, you know, fucking termidad. Um You know, and you get back to, to, to the machine just being a fucking machine. Yeah. I mean, I would yeah. watch that sitcom, by the way, Termidad. Hey, and John, have you done your homework? No, you're not even my fucking dad. That's it, Terminator. Fuck you, asshole. You know, there's been a thousand, <laughs> since, the original, since the original Terminator, I just want to make, I just want to say one thing. There's, since the original Terminator, um, you know, there's been a thousand movies, thousands of movies and sci-fi movies and horror movies and robot movies and whatever. But man, that first fucking Terminator movie, when I saw that movie for the first time, it like, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 10 years old, maybe, right? What, that came out in 1984, the original Terminator? Am I correct there? Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah. I, so maybe I saw it in, like, 1986. Maybe I was 10 at the latest. I say, Target that, 86 or 87. That on movie, cable playing all the time. That <laughs> movie scared the fucking shit out of me. That movie, as yep. a little fucking kid, was so fucking scary. I mean, you can yeah, look at it now, yeah. and you can see you can see the you can see the limitations and the effects now. Looking at it technically, but as a little fucking kid, like falling in love with movies, that movie scared the bejesus out of me. That movie had such an effect on me as a youth that, like, I literally to this day remember where I was when I watched it the first time, and which two particular scenes will forever have like that that horrifying the, effect. That was at my mother's biggest, friend Heather's house. Her daughter Shayna is the one that put this on for me. Had to have been eighty six, so I might have been yeah, eight, you know, yeah, nine. The biggest tops. scene for me, 
was when he goes back to his apartment and starts working on himself and like pops out yeah. his eyeball and he's like playing with the fucking with the with the robotic shit in his wrist and making the fingers move and like the the guy's like banging on the door and he like goes through the results and he's like fuck you asshole and uh fuck yeah, you asshole shit when he's when he's putting himself back together in, in his in his boarding house uh that scene and then uh then the scene, obviously, the epic shootout at the police station, also for me. <clears throat> the, the shootout, the shootout didn't scare me. The, that scene I don't, with him cutting out the eyeball and all that stuff that that definitely left an impact. And the other oh thing yeah. was at the end of the film, after he loses his entire flesh form, and it's oh yeah, just right. that stop motion animation of the the robot. It yeah. was just creepy. The way it moved, mm-hmm. the way it looked, it like backhands Kyle at one point, and it just like you know, like in my head, I know that the guy just gets like knocked around a little bit, but I just saw it as like you know, this robot's gonna knock somebody's head off, you know, like mm-hmm. that's basically like like where I was going with this whole thing, man. That was just weird and horrifying looking. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, moving, moving right along because I know that uh, yeah, we, have a, a a, we have another big movie to talk about. Uh, this, I'm going to cut out some of my news because I want to give the king his his time, uh, and I say that in all seriousness, not even joking. Uh, so, uh, in when we think about the biggest screen killers, uh, who do we usually think of? Right. You know what I did yesterday? <laughs> Listen, real quick, there was a lightning storm last night, right? So I was filming it, and I was trying to be real artsy. I was like, oh, I'm going to try to film this in slow motion and see what happens. Well, while I was in the middle of filming it in slow motion, I farted. And the slow motion camera and microphone picked up the sound of said fart in slow motion. And I have to say, when I played this back, it is one of the funniest sounding fucking things I've ever heard. I will try to track it later so I can send it to you guys just so you can hear it. Yeah. I'm sorry, it just popped into my head suddenly. But okay, yeah, does, right, does, move it, on. Does, it, does it does it rival the Mike Walker fart fart? Uh, that sounds like somebody sitting on a fucking duck underwater somewhere, man. I mean, this doesn't have to be that much. It's a weird sound, man. Yeah. So, so yeah, getting back to it, biggest screen killers. Who are we, who are we thinking of? Freddy. <laughs> Michael. Freddy. Jason. Freddy. Michael. Jason. Okay. So, in in, in three, don't you think? I just saw these numbers. I just saw. No, 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 no. I have something else in the lead-in. Uh, I just saw, actually saw this earlier uh, today. So, in three movies, in just three movies alone, uh, John Wick is the biggest killer. Uh, he has no, killed more, John, John Wick. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. In three movies, in three movies, John Wick has killed more people than Jason and Michael combined over twenty movies. Nope. At three hundred and six nope. kills, right two hundred and ninety-seven. It is totally false because there is a set of kills that goes on in Jason X that never gets listed, but there are over a million people on that space station when he blows yep. that space station up, hence killing all of them and wiping out any fucking horror or any franchise's ability to ever catch up to that number. All right. I mean, that's an interesting thought, I suppose. It is. It's uh, one that people don't think about, but he's right. Yeah, but I mean... John Wick is averaging 102 kills per film at this point. That's pretty incredible, too, yeah. though. And, 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 and I am looking forward to seeing his, it. 
I know, so am I. And all his kills are like in close, like usually by hand. So that's pretty fucking awesome. But anyway, John uh, Wick, Jason and Michael Antibellum combined, or something. I guess, uh, yeah, Parabellum. Uh, so uh, <laughs> they said it was the last one, but they already have they already have the, the release date for part four in 2021. Um, but anyway, uh, the dog the... is now dead, and I'm all alone, and I need you now. Sorry. <laughs> I guess aside from the space station, Jason and Michael combined have killed 297 people to John Wick 306. Um, also, uh, so we have covered on this show, we clarified, we covered Art Clown and Terrifier. Uh, mm-hmm. According to the team behind Terrifier, uh, Terrifier 2 has secured all of its funding. Uh, Dark Age Cinema is ready to roll. They begin filming in the fall. Uh, and they say that they're going uh, much bigger than the first Terrifier. And they said that what, uh, gonna what they said writers? was... We're going to saw two guns in half. (laughs) So they said that, imagine if Arthur Clown was in charge of the prom mayhem in Carrie, and that gives you an idea of what to expect. So even though they have their funding, they said they are going to be doing a very short uh, one-month Indiegogo crowdfund uh, to get some extra money together to make sure that they have what they need for the special effects and if they've already got the terrible. money, why are they trying to get more? I, I, I don't know. I'm just reporting <laughs> on the news, man. I'm not telling you what I'm reading. They, they, should, and, uh, they should put them on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, know, I know the king is, a, is, a, is pumping the tires constantly of Candyman. Uh, apparently, Tony Todd has been told look from out, Jordan, look out. Oh, Tony oh, Todd, Jordan Peele has told Tony Todd that he is going to be back. That he's going to appeal, he's going to appear in. He's going to be black. He's going to appeal. He's, no, he's <laughs> going to appear, and he's going to be in in crowd pleasing segments. Um, yeah. But the thing is, is that Candyman doesn't draw any crowds. I mean, like the last Candyman was like straight to video, <laughs> and like part two only made like thirteen million dollars global. Um, mm-hmm. I still, I feel like I said, like we've talked about this new Candyman so much on the show, and. I just feel like it's a, a. I know the king strongly disagrees, but I feel like it's a B-level series that had a decent first movie. Um, I don't know why this is news. Well, I mean, we talked about it on the show a bunch of times the Candyman reboot, and we've always said, "When is Tony Todd going to get that call? When's his phone going to ring?" And it did. Jordan Peele called. <laughs> no, you've said that. I've said. I've said. Why does he even need to have that call? Why does no, it because he's Imagine. an important part of that film. You know, the series as a whole. Um, and as far as the, the audience, uh, you know, the whole thing about how it's just going to be crowd-pleasing moments, yeah, I think to the fans of Candyman, it's going to be crowd-pleasing. I don't know to a national audience, like you had said. Uh, so all night of you are going to be standing and clapping. Yeah, I think all five I mean, of us are going to be I really excited. as long as it's, you know, as long as we're looking at like a cameo type of deal, then we're good. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's yep. we're all fine with. I mean, it's similar to Gunnar Hansen, you know, being in the Texas Chainsaw mm. movie, you know, yeah. one of the, the characters, one of the Sawyer family sitting yeah. there, you know, like or, I, it's, it's one of those crowd pleasing moments. What was that, Monkey? I said, or like when he was in Final Destination, same thing. It's like, you know, yeah. quick, quick, <laughs> quick little nod, all right, cool, you know, in there for the horror fans, thank you, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. yeah, exactly, you know, but apparently it's going to be moments with the mess, so I guess he's going to have more than one scene in this movie uh, playing a character. 
So is he going to, like, be, like, in a smoking jacket with a glass of wine and, you know, talking real smooth to us? <laughs> He's not Billy Dee Williams. He's going to come out at the end and be, like, I'm trying to form a team. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the uh, Slashers. Who wants to join, baby? Like, I'd like to talk to you about the Slasher Initiative. <laughs> Next up, y'all, Haddonfield. <laughs> so that's what's going on there. I hope that the, when it all is said and done and Candyman returns to the screen, I hope that the king is satisfied. And I hope that Tony Todd is satisfied and everybody's satisfied. I hope that everyone is very excited. Um, I, didn't even realize I, the third, I didn't even realize that the third movie in that thing went straight to video. Um, I had no idea I was reading about that earlier. But anyway, no, it's bad. Uh, because we have a very important film to talk about, uh, there is a company out there that's called Cult Screening Docs. And uh, they make all kinds of documentaries, and they have Cult announced their docs. most... Uh, yes. Uh, always on your mind. That would be fucking weird, man. What Every time you came and just screamed. Like a, what, like a goat, you know what I mean? Like those screaming goats... <laughs> I love this. Pull out your dick and it just seriously, starts yelling at you. I, can, I love screaming goats videos, dude. I can dude, watch those I can put screaming goats on YouTube and just fucking laugh my fucking ass off. It's, <laughs> and there's one where they, they cut. There's one when they cut the screaming goats into like a Taylor Swift song when she like. And uh-huh. then they, they, it cuts to the screaming goat, dude. I mean, yeah. I can laugh and laugh I and laugh. I knew you were trouble um, when I walked when you walked in. Oh yeah, <laughs> trouble. <laughs> 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 Um, what were we getting to, Doc? Cult Screening Documentaries uh, has announced uh, their next documentary is going to be called Icon, the Robert England story, uh, that is going to feature interviews with Robert England himself, as well as multiple cast members throughout all of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. It will also feature some coverage on some other big names uh, in genres such as Hotter, Dora Combs, and Tony Todd. Uh, but this is gonna. The main focus will be Robert England, who we all know as the one and only Freddy Krueger, uh, one of the Mount Rushmore faces of horror. Uh, if you want to call those uh, Freddy, Jason, Michael, and Leatherface, uh, we have Robert England, who is the man under the makeup, uh, one of the most iconic film characters in the history of film, and the m- main character in the King of Horrors pick, Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street. And that's Indeed. how you fucking segue. That did is I do, a segue. Did I, did I do it good? Was that a good segue? Did I do it good? That is a segue. <laughs> segue. Not bad at all, man. Not bad at all. <laughs> Landed are you impressed? it. Cool, are you it's a little long, in, a good a little job long the in the tooth, but, you know. But that's how I do it. You know I do. A, a little you know a I good do segue is short you know and like to the point real quick, man. But no, you you did that well. It was it was a long setup, but it delivered. But you know I do long winded, man. That's my thing. He's a yeah, teacher. It's true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. <laughs> but and usually my punchline works. I will try to say usually I'm not trying to pull my own tires, but I think most of the time my punchline yeah. works. Mm. Uh, I'll okay. give you a high percentile on that, man. I definitely will. I know, you know what, I'm kind of biased. On... I've been your friend for a really long time, so. Yeah, I mean, look, sometimes depending on how much weed or 
booze I have in me when I'm doing the show, I know that it doesn't, but I feel like I, I, I usually make the mark. Sometimes I go a little too long-winded. I mean, I get a good segue once a year, so I'll take it. And, and sometimes I say inappropriate things, you know, so... It's get out of here. I don't believe that. You do not. And look, we okay. totally... We segued right away from the fucking topic, so... Hey, why don't you, why don't you tell us about the man so, yeah. in your dreams, King. Tell us, tell us so, about the man in your dreams, King, please. Let's talk about the Springwood slasher himself, Frederick J. Krueger. Uh, Nancy... On the original Jesus. film, played by Heather Langenkamp, is having nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's having nightmares uh, that her friends are also having with one connecting thread, and that's a man with a glove with razors on the end, and he wants to kill them all. Michael but Jackson. unfortunately for these teenagers, <laughs> they're going to start getting picked <laughs> off one by one, waiting Nancy to be the one to lead the charge to destroy Frederick Krueger in the end. So rather than do what we normally do, where it's like, hey, what would you think about the movie? I want to talk to you guys and find out where you were when you first saw the original Nightmare on Elm Street and, and what you felt about it then. Oh. <laughs> um, I, like, I'm sorry, mine isn't very memorable. It's like, it was just, you know, again, hanging out with friends. We were just running a marathon, and it was just, you know, going around. And one of the movies mm-hmm. that was picked was Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know, I was excited because I was finally seeing this this movie that I had been reading about for, you know, a few years in Fangoria, just seeing stills and stuff like that. And it's just, what year was it? I was just uh, 90. <laughs> and <laughs> Not the 90s. It's like Johnny yeah, Depp's... This is his little cassette tape to, to trick his mom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're at the airport? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's just, yeah, and it's just, and finally being being able to see this for the first time, I was just blown away by the effects that was in this movie. It's just, they they were just so fun. Mm-hmm. What about All you right. guys? Ghoul? Uh, for me, um, let's see. I saw this. It had to have been, I mean, this is what, 84 that this came out? So my guess would be around 87, 88. I know I saw it not too long after its home video release because my stepfather actually had it on video. Um, And it was one of those those earlier horror movies that I saw. Uh, Friday the 13th Part 4 might be the first one that I really remember seeing. Nightmare on Elm Street was the first one I remember seeing that actually really scared me. Um, you know, the character was just fucking horrifying. And, you know, I know I, I saw the sequel, part two, shortly thereafter. Both were on video already um, by the time I saw this. And then I remember three coming in theaters. So I had already seen the movie by the time three came out. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty scary at its time, man. You know, there's just a creepy character, and it gets you where where you can't defend yourself in any way. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, Doc, what about you? Your first experience with a Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, my first experience uh, with a Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of right in that sweet spot that I always talk about in that kind of mid to late '80s window. Uh, you know, where you're just kind of the perfect age at the perfect time for that stuff. Uh, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. What year was 
Uh, does anybody know off the top of the head what year Nightmare on Elm Street 3 went into the movie theaters? 87. King? Yes. <laughs> All right. So I believe that I saw Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time while Part 3 was in the theaters, um, if I remember correctly. Now, I also might have seen, like, bits and pieces of Nightmare on Elm Street before actually seeing it from start to finish. Uh, it's one of those that, like, I knew the name, and for the age that I was, it wasn't something that I was, like, supposed to be watching. And at that time, I had not yet had a television in my bedroom, so watching this shit in my house was like a... It was like walking the tightrope, you know? You had to have it on, but, like, not get busted. Uh, mm-hmm. There was nowhere to go and like watch the, TV in private, Like the you know? squiggly channel. <laughs> so, uh... I had seen I had seen some parts uh, standouts that I remember include. He's watching that nightmare movie again. <laughs> nah, because actually, when 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 I'll tell you what though, uh, you you would think that would be the case, but no, because uh, she actually like watched part three with me when it had its first run on cable. Like we watched it together. Awesome. Uh, you know, she would sometimes she would sometimes allow it, but uh, you would think the opposite. But no, that was the case. But anyway, uh, I most notably I remember I I remember uh, when home homeboy gets uh, killed uh, in the jail cell. Uh, I remember that um, you know, and him running away and hiding in the bushes um, before getting arrested. Uh, you know, I remember all of these things, and then when I finally saw it from start to finish, yeah, man. I mean, it's it's Nightmare on Elm Street, you know. Uh, it's one of those that there's been so many movies and it's been out for so long, but when you're one of the, one of the lucky generation to have seen that stuff, uh, when that stuff was new and fresh, uh, you know, it was an exciting time. It it was like, you had the thrill of seeing the scary movie. You had the thrill of watching something that you weren't supposed to be watching as a little kid. Um, you know, what can you say? I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street, humongously impactful, you know, fucking one of the all times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's undeniable. It's legacy, especially with that first film. Uh, for me, I was hey, in sixth Hart, grade. Wait, real quick, just I, I've been meaning to ask you this as I think about some of these movies that we talk about in this time. What year did the was the planet graced with the presence of the King of Hearts? Nineteen eighty four. Same year as when you were born in nineteen eighty four. Okay, thank you. Carry on. Yep, same year the movie came out. Um, but yes, I was in sixth grade. Um, this is probably 96. Um, I was really huge into Halloween. Like, that was my series. That was my guy, Michael Myers. In I had all the movies on VHS. Too? What's that? 96. In ni- oh, 96. 96. So it's like in 1986. Yeah. What? No, 96. So anyway, yeah, Michael was my guy. Uh, there was a girl in my class uh, named Carolyn who was a huge Fredhead. Loved all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Had them all said he's the greatest villain of all time, he's frightening, he's scary, but he's also funny. And I said, well, there's no way he's better than Michael. So she said, she's never seen the original Halloween, so if I lend her my copy of Halloween, she'll lend me her copy of Nightmare on Elm Street. I said, that's fair trade. So I took it home, and it was the first time I ever had a nightmare after watching a horror film because of how dark Freddy was as compared to Michael. Because as opposed to Michael... You can avoid Haddonfield on Halloween. Just don't go, and you're not going to be killed by Michael. 
<laughs> but with Freddy, if you fall asleep, he can kill you in your dream. You have to dream. Only you if you live you in, but only if you live in Springwood. Well, I mean, that's true, too. I mean, if you live in the Springwood, you're probably going to be killed elsewhere. Probably not. But to me, it was just the idea that you could fall asleep and be killed in your dream. And that was the whole reason why Wes wrote the script in the first place was because of a case that was happening in real life of uh, a bunch of people that had escaped Pol Pot at the time and immigrated to the U.S. and started having nightmares of being killed um, in their dreams. And one child actually kept having a recurring nightmare where he was being stalked by a man, and he was killed, and he kept telling his parents, I can't go to sleep. If I go to sleep, he's going to kill me. And they said, don't worry about it, just go to sleep. He goes to sleep, they hear him thrashing around in his bed, and they find he's dead. But after they took away his body, they found that he had a bunch of coffee pots underneath the bed. He was taking no-dos like in the movie, so he was trying to fight off whatever he was having a nightmare with. And that kind of stuck with Wes which is what led him into creating what we know now as Freddy Krueger. Um, so yeah, well, there was that, way. and there was also the, the rash of child abductions and, and killings that yes. had happened throughout the, the late 70s and early 80s. You know, I think something that us as, as kids that grew up during that time, I mean, we all know the story of Adam and, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know, like every oh, yeah. made-for-TV movie that was coming on at that time frame was about kidnapping some child. And you, it just was just so your parents could turn around and be like, well, don't you walk away from me in the mall because you know what? You'll end up like that kid, Adam, and you don't want to yeah. know what they did to his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then you would always have the urban legends about the black vans going around the neighborhoods and shit looking for kids and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, that was during the Satanic Panic era, too, where it's a bunch of devil worshippers that come and kill you, you know, if you're not careful. You know, they'll poison your candy and take you away, and you'll never be seen again. So, I mean, there was a, yeah. uh, a definite that's a time frame in your apples. That yeah. time frame, you know, I feel like that's one of those time frames that, like, doesn't even make sense to talk about unless you were, like, living it and realizing it at the time. When that hysteria was going on in that kind of mid to late 80s, uh, with the satanic panic and the mm-hmm. heavy metal music and like Dee Snyder and dudes like that being like dragged into fucking court and shit. Um, that was a, that was a bizarre, bizarre, crazy, crazy time. Um, <laughs> King of Horror, did you get a chance to make out with the girl that you traded movies with? I did. A couple times. A lot of fun. <laughs> she was a weird, weird chick. And I really you, had, you know, had a good time with her. Make out. Yes, my first makeup session was with her, and she was a heavy, heavy goth chick, so she wore all black all the time, you know, just like uh, Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice, try to imagine that, and that was Carolyn. How old was he? I was that one. He was 14. Yeah, monkey? How old was the goth chick? The the goth chick was in the same grade I was, so sixth grade, what's that, 12, 13? Yeah. Yeah, but the, yeah, but they would make out under the bleachers. He would wear a Captain Kirk mask. She would wear a glove. You know, <laughs> it was it was just goth, little goth makeout sessions. <laughs> well, I mean, we did make out the Halloween. A little stopped, bit of pegging. <laughs> a little. We, we tried it in in sixth grade. Yeah. Damn, what fucking school did you go to? I went to a hardcore Jersey school. <laughs> Called Pinebrook. What up? <laughs> No, I was I was just, you know, school where I was an outcast. She was an outcast, so we just kind of met up together. But uh, 
A lot of fun. I mean, I don't know. Hookups were definitely happening at that time. I mean, yeah. We were, I don't know. You were, we, when we did Pinebrook, Doc, it was seventh and eighth grade still. So, I mean, it wasn't like it was all that far of a stretch, you know? Yeah. Now, now it's sixth grade. And I remember seeing that with like, uh, with my younger sisters and stuff like that. So like going to pick them up from, you know, that kind of shit. Particularly, I remember that with my son, actually. Like, going to pick him up in sixth grade from, like, a sixth grade dance. And, like, these kids, like, in the hall. Like, it was seriously, like, out of, like, a John Hughes movie. There was, like, a group of kids, like, just, like, in the hallway of the school, like, making out against the lockers. And I'm, like, sitting there thinking to myself, like, what was I doing in sixth grade? I was not hooking up with anybody yet. I know that much. <laughs> I had friends kiss in sixth grade for the first time. Yeah, that's about the same as me. If I really um, go back well, and think, to be truthful, it might have honestly been fifth grade, but it might—it was probably sixth grade. Yeah, I would definitely say six was for me. But um, we're turning back to I the movie. I was a late bloomer, but a fast <laughs> mover afterwards. Ribbit, ribbit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're turning back to the movie. We get introduced to Amanda Wiss's character, Tina, who's having nightmares of Freddie early on, who is trying to kill her. Um, and she's played by these, so she talks to her friend Nancy, played by Heather Langenkamp. We also get introduced to Glenn, played by that actor, Johnny Depp, who I can't think of a movie he did after this. <laughs> but, um, I told you, he was in a fucking John Waters movie, man. He was. He was, which is important. But what did you think of this group of friends? Obviously, it's 84, so they're definitely not playing the age that they're supposed to. Look a lot older, but I liked the dynamic of the friends because you can definitely tell that Tina and Heather are friends. Glenn's just the hapless boyfriend, and then you have bad boy Rod, you know, just kind of hanging out, just like a '50s guy <laughs> for some reason. Hey, hey yo, <laughs> up your nose with, know, the, with the lawnmower hose. Yeah, I I don't know, man. It's just for me personally. It's like I just wasn't feeling a chemistry with the group. It's like. It was. It yeah. seems very yep. one-offish of everybody, you know. Is you know the two girls were friends, and then the two guys were friends with the two girls. I I didn't take it as a group, you know. No, that's this, what this I thought. Yeah, this is definitely not the fucking dream warriors, you know. It's, it's just we're just people that were just thrown together because of the two girls. That's it. Well, and the dream warriors weren't a group problem. of friends either. They were just a bunch of people thrown together because of Freddie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I think that this is just one of those cases in which the, the two guys have to get along because of the girls that they're dating. And, yeah, the girls exactly. are exactly. Yep. I mean, I think, you know, we've all been in scenarios like that before where you're kind of, you know, made to, to fraternize with somebody that, you know, maybe you wouldn't normally. I feel, you know, besides the whole age thing, which, I mean, there were shots where Nancy actually does look young enough to be, you know, maybe a high school senior. Um, Rod definitely looks like he should be, you know, like he graduated 15 years prior and should be, like, on the street <laughs> corner somewhere trying to, to pick up younger girls. Um, yeah. Uh, Glenn, you know, I mean, Depp looks fine for his age, and Amanda Wiss I couldn't care less about. I mean, she's kind of a, you know, whatever. And I know they were going for the whole uh, psycho opening by by leading you on to think that she might be the main chick, but... You know, it's uh, is what it is. But the dynamic of the group, I mean, it's it's believable for what it needs to be. I mean, you know, it, it's really the, the their friendship is the the last thing of concern in this movie. 
Yeah, I mean, I do like the fact that when they're at uh, Tina's house and Rod comes along, you could tell that obviously Glenn and Rod aren't friends. But when you have the scene of Tina and Rod having the most glorious sex that they've probably ever had, just plowing away, and you have Glenn laying on the couch going, morality sucks. I'm like, yeah, I'm right there with you, man. That's got to suck. (laughs) Your girlfriend's a prune. She doesn't want anything to do with you sexually, so you have to ride the couch. While you hear two people fuck in the next room, gotta be bad. Oh, man, that, yeah, man, that's a no, fucking word. I've never had that issue. <laughs> Ghoul was the issue. <laughs> he he was the he was the one always in the other room. <laughs> you know what? Even though you, I had one particular girl who was not, you know, who who's trying to save herself for marriage. Um, and you know up? her her one her one friend was very promiscuous though, and you know eventually. Yes, um, you know which friend the I'm talking about, Doc. <laughs> um, no, 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 she didn't need to. I womp, mean, just womp. because I couldn't stick it in her vagina didn't mean that, you know, she didn't have a mouth, a hand, or tits, or anything like that. So, I mean, or there was ass. always plenty of things to make other noises, yes, or, or, or an ass. <laughs> there are other holes. <laughs> so, uh, the well, that's a good point that you brought up. other worlds than these, there are <laughs> other holes than these. Yeah, a lot more. Um, but that's a good point that you brought up, cool, and that's what I wanted to ask you guys, is because that's what I brought up to the monkey last night, is that Amanda Wiss's character, Tina, it is kind of presented in a psycho-esque way, where she's kind of playing the Janet Lee character. A lot like Drew Barrymore would later go on to play in West Kevin's movie Scream, where you feel like, okay, well, you know, maybe she's going to be the one that survives. Maybe she's going to be the one that we follow at the end of the movie that's going to be the heroine because of how she's presented early on having this nightmare of Freddy. Um, but the way they presented it, yeah, I definitely think the argument can be made. That's the way Wes is going. I don't know what you guys thought. I definitely agree with that. Go ahead, Gould. What do you think, man? Oh, I'm the one that said it, so you guys go. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, Gould. Go ahead, I mean, monkey, uh, monkey no. talk. No, it's just because, again, speak, I, monkey. I, I, I disagree <laughs> because, again, you know, she, she, she's out there, you know, getting plowed and getting plowed hard right off the bat, you know. Uh, according to horror rules, you know, there's no way she's going to fucking make it, man. <laughs> Those rules can be broken. Depends. But, yeah, that's Randy Meek's rule number one. But, yeah. uh, Doc, what do you think about Tina as far as being the Janet Lee? I mean, at the, I mean, in hindsight, like, I'm trying to, like, think about this movie in, in two ways. I'm trying to recall my thoughts and feelings that the multiple times that I saw this when I was a kid versus looking at it different and critical as an adult. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously when looking at this film as a little kid, like I'm not thinking about it in those kinds of, in those kinds of ways, you know, like, yes, there's something titillating about watching sex when you're a kid um, as well as murder. Um, you know, I, I never really kind of considered it as like a Janet Lee or like a, Excellent you know, murder. you know, something like that. It's not something that I, that I had considered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I did like what's a, funny is ahead, as a kid, what I, what I almost don't even remember the sex part because mm-hmm. that sequence in which Freddie is coming through the wall in Nancy that Nancy is sleeping that was such a, oh, yeah. an effective scene at that time. 
that yep. like, yeah, there's one of those like things that stick in your head that you're never going to not see, you know, and it makes me always think of the box art, you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. sequence of him over her head laying in there. Like I said, I had, we had the VHS with the slip cover, not the clamshell yep. case. So, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely one of those iconic moments. So the last thing I was thinking about was sex, man. I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to sleep at this house. And it's an easy effect to achieve, you know, with this, uh, just the way that they did it. But it sticks with you. It's an iconic shot from this movie. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was Tina's dream, where she finally has a confrontation with Freddie in the alleyway of the house. Um, the effect of the arms coming out, I remember even back when I first saw it, I'm like, that's kind of cheesy, but I get what they're doing. And even watching it now, like, you can tell how they did it. It's just uh, 1984, you know, what you have to work with. Um, I just wish it hadn't used it because it just doesn't look good. It's not effective. No, it, it doesn't work. Uh, it it would have been different if they had shown it happening, like the arm coming out and, mm-hmm. you know, stre- stretching out, you know, which, you know, they do stuff like that later on. But this was just a, an easy, easy straight shot, you know, of, you know, because what did you say it was, King, that, that they did to actually do this shot? It was uh, fishing poles with puppet hands on the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they yeah, shoved and it through it the sweater yeah. and had him walk. And, the whole, pur- and yeah, the whole purpose of that scene and shot is almost defeated because even though I know they're trying to show that, oh, Freddy has the ability to ch- you know, shape change, right. there were no other effects throughout the rest of the movie nor anything that he really does throughout the rest of the movie to show nope. him as a shape changer. Everything else right. is pretty much straight horror. And, like, this is the only thing that even leans towards that. And they really could have edited that out. It was, yeah, same as you. When I was a yeah. kid, I remember yeah. looking at that and, and being like, okay, it's kind of cheesy. I can see it's fake. Why are they trying to extend his arms that way? And it's like, oh, oh I guess because he can do it. Yeah. It's a dream. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what I took it as. Yeah, it was just a fail effects-wise. It's like, you know, it, Sesame Street did better jobs at this kind of shit at the time. You know? <laughs> uh, and... What I, I really appreciate about this particular film, and I'm not talking about the rest of the films, just this particular one, is how dark Freddy really is. Because he's not oh, yeah. cracking jokes the entire time. He's not putting on sunglasses and go, hang ten, dude. Like, you know, he's not cracking jokes yet. He's still kind of a menacing figure. And I like when he approaches her for the first time, and she goes, please, God. And he raises his glove and goes, this is God. Like, that's such a great fucking line. Like, it's terrifying oh, in a way. Like, this is going to be your end by my glove. And the chase of the alley. Well, the funny thing, too, you know, the one thing that we skip over, and, I mean, realistically, because it's it's one of the only times you, like, I remember seeing it in film. You know, the the movie starts off with us watching the weapon be built. You know, Freddy isn't like other characters that we see in Shadow. It doesn't take very long for us to see it. We see the weapon right from the very start of the movie, and it's not all that long before we're watching him chase her around and, like, really getting, you know, somewhat of, a, of good views of the guy. I mean, he's chopping fingers off. He's doing all kinds yeah. of wicked shit. She rips his face off, and he laughs at her when after yeah, she that, does it. Yeah, th- that, uh-huh. that was an effective fucking shot, man, you know? Like, yeah. again, like, this is coming off of me seeing Poltergeist and, you know, watching that guy peel his face off in that, and then this movie's got another guy losing his face. Dude, it's, it's a wonder I survived my childhood, man. <laughs> and, yeah, and this is also what I wanted to bring up to the doc. What I love the most about Freddy in this film 
is that he is a predator playing with his food in this movie. He enjoys taunting them, not cracking jokes, but he enjoys laughing because he knows in the end he's going to kill them. So he's just going to make it as fun as he can, but in a very yeah. sadistic way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I do feel, uh, uh, and I don't know how I felt about it when I was a kid, but looking at it again, uh, when she is in her bedroom and has been trying to call uh, Johnny Depp, and she has the phone pulled out of the wall, and she picks it up, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's like then there's like the mouth and the tongue. Uh, you know, I'm your boyfriend now. Um, you know, uh, I feel like that is like a, a is like kind of a little bit into that kind of Freddy jokester territory. Yeah, it touches it. It doesn't go all the way. Like no, I said no, with no, the no, other no. movies. No, 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 no. I feel like yeah. who knew? And I remember you saying something about wanting, and we can get into this discussion later. Uh, we have plenty of time because uh, yeah. I know you had talked about wanting to talk about like the growth of Freddy Krueger as this huge icon. Uh, but at that time, we didn't know yet what is to come. But in hindsight, uh, you know, I do feel like there's, there's like a kind of touch of humor uh, there, like in that sequence, for example. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, gallows humor in a lot of ways. It's not, yeah. you know, well, money for laughs. Yeah. Well, exactly. same, thing can be sa- same thing can be said for when he cuts his fingers off. You know, there's no reason yes. for him to do it other than just to scare the shit out of her. And, you know, mm-hmm. and he's all kinds of jolly while doing it. You know, you got that green stuff squirting out of the finger, out of the hand, and all that, and and he's quite uh, quite mirthful. You know, he's a, he's a and, happy dude. <laughs> yeah, because this is the thing I brought up to the monkey. Because uh, I watched it with headphones on, because I watched the link that I sent you guys. Uh, when Tina is in the bedroom, and she's getting dragged up the wall, when Freddy's just nicking her with the knives, you can hear him grunting and laughing at the same time. Like, he's having fun torturing this poor girl until he finally does the death knell right across her chest with the slashes as Rob looks on in terror. Unfortunately, the scene got really heavily edited by the MPAA because it was supposed to be a blood splash in the bed. Like, it was supposed to be a gigantic, almost geyser of blood okay. that was supposed to hit. But, and they're like, nope, can't do that. Got to cut it. So you get just well, a quick cut of her splash. The bed. We get the splash onto Rod, though. So It's supposed to be a lot more. That's what they were going no, for. But either way, okay, edited or not, come on, man. This blew everyone away the first time they saw this scene. Like, yeah, seriously, like this, this scene was just fucking phenomenal, effects-wise. It's just, you know, and this was what separated Nightmare from everything else that was out there at the moment. You know, was that this was the scene that showed us, like, you're, you're going to see something that you've never fucking seen before. So yeah, you're yeah. thinking, because shit, shit's going to get fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it works. I mean, of course, Rod, seeing this happen, does the worst thing he could possibly do, and goes and runs away. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not going to end well for him either way because of his history with the police in town, and they're just going to assume that he did it, even though Fuck he clearly is coming straight from the underground. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But we get introduced to. I, I I'm sorry. Go ahead. Now, sorry. I look at that scene now, and it's it's weird. I can watch this movie now, and obviously, you still I still watch it with the glee of watching a Nightmare on Elm Street film. Um, at, the, at my age, mm-hmm. how many times I've seen these damn movies? It's you know I, right. I have to find the fun in them, but I can still pick on them a little bit. Um, of course. And I do see. In this, 
a director that wasn't quite sure exactly how he wanted to tell this tale. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to see that with each of the, the kills in this. Um, it's almost like, you know, at this point, he wants to turn it into a possible whodunit with Rod taking the blame for the murder. Um, you know, with mm-hmm. Rod's death, we're going to see what looks like a possible suicide. That's something I think the writers are going to take and run with in part three. You know, where it's, you know, these kids are hurting themselves. It's not somebody else doing it. Um, I feel like this was where, you know, Wes is throwing up all these different ideas, all these different ideas, but he wasn't exactly sure what he wanted Freddie to be or how he wanted Freddie to be presented completely. But they had to put something together, and this is just how it worked. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know because I've never read anything about that, but you could be right where he didn't really know where to go with it, how to present Freddie and his motives, if he's trying to set up red herrings. Um, but like I, I just mentioned, I wanted to talk about the parents of Nancy, uh, Marge and Don Thompson, played by Ronnie Blakely, and the great John Saxon. They're just a fantastic oh, couple. Because you have John Saxon, who I love in everything that he does. So, I mean, he can never disappoint me. Just because he just, you know, adds a little, hey, everybody, I'm John Saxon. Look at my wig. I'm wearing one. You like it? I like it. Like, you know, um, but the one thing I wanted to posit to you guys is Marge Thompson. Do you think even with this first murder of Tina, because the next day when Nancy wakes up, she already has the bottle of vodka on the counter, like like nine o'clock in the morning and she's hitting that bottle. Do you think that even before you find out that the parents of Elm Street killed Freddie, do you think that she carried that weight? of having to kill Freddie with the parents of Elm Street. And that's why she's popping them bottles and smoking them cigarettes because she carries the weight differently than Don does. Don, he's a cop. You know, he, they did what they had to do, vigilante justice, and he moved on. But Marge never really quite got over what they did. So when the murders start happening, she starts hitting that bottle because she knows the truth. Right, but you also well, added that last night when we were talking, King, sorry, it's just um, – you also no, go ahead. that they, they they and the king had this theory oh, also he, that they were a you know a good couple that got along, but then after the whole Freddie thing of them getting revenge, that's when she lost it. She became alcoholic, and that's when they split. And yeah. you know she she got the house, she got the kid, but she also got the alcoholism from trying to figure out her way of dealing with the guilt of what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Uh, I mean. I feel like that's maybe trying to read a lot more into into what he was doing there. I mean, this was the 80s, man, and divorce was was getting up there. You know, the rates were starting to really increase, and it was becoming a very normal thing. Um, I think it was just kind that's of the term, to give you a re- <laughs> You know, I think it was done to, to give you the, the dichotomy of, one, you know, her having – split parents, so the father, the protector, isn't in the house for Nancy. Two, you got Glenn, the boyfriend who has, you know, we'll see later, you know, his parents have a a, a functional relationship, so, and then that kind of lightly gets played with at at a later point when, you know, the, the dad's talking about that. As far as the mom carrying the weight and everything, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's there. I mean, she has the equipment down in the basement of this house. You know, it's not even like they they got a ri- they got rid of it. You know, they're keeping it in the furnace, which you know, as an HVAC right. guy, I can't tell you. 
appreciate how impossible that is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. It worked. It was believable at the time, you know, even for me as a kid. Um, it worked for me. Yeah, you know, so I, I think, uh, and I, I don't know about him and his feelings on it. You know, I, you know, the funny thing about John Saxon is I had actually seen him in Enter the Dragon before I had ever seen this. So I'm sitting there movie. wondering, oh, why is why isn't he just doing karate? You know, like, what? <laughs> at that time, I at that time I actually thought he was, you know, a, a really good martial artist. I didn't realize that he was just an actor that knew martial arts, not so much as mm. you know, being a black belt and whatever he could possibly be and right. kick somebody's ass. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you think, Doc, about March? Hello, Doctor. Aging doctor, doctor. Oh, we did. Actually, he did drop. Okay, so moving on. Oh, <laughs> he'll come back. Um, he is back. Okay. All right. As, as have any okay. of you met Ronnie Blakely? I have not. No. Have you? I remember her being a yeah, you know, briefly. Um, I I didn't get her autograph or anything like that. Um, I've taken a picture with her actually, though. Now that I think about it, it was whatever chiller. I think it was the chiller where we met uh Corey Feldman. The first time. Oh, she was at and, that one. Uh, I forgot about that. She was there with uh, with with Nancy. Uh, oh, okay. Camp. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I completely forgot that she was there. I know that Lang Camp was there. Uh, but anyway, mm-hmm. Doctor, you're back. I wanted to have your opinion about Marge Thompson as a character. Yeah, I'm kind of echoing uh, the ghoul a little bit there. Like, I didn't think of like the divorce thing at all and time frames in the eighties and that starting to climb. And, you know, I don't know if I necessarily thought about uh, it as her like carrying the weight of what was done more. So her Take a load like, off, Nancy. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> more, more so her just kind of like knowing, just kind of knowing, like knowing what happened and knowing what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I'm I, wanting yeah. to kind of not realize it um, as it were. And I really I do had have a, another a fun opinion time. on her, but I don't okay. want to say it until we get closer to the end of the film. Okay. Uh, what I was going to say is that I had a good time watching the one scene where you have Nancy in the school where she's talking to, you know, her, yeah, after the death of Tina, she decides she's going to go back to school because, listen, you know, what am I going to do at home? I'm not going to sleep. I don't want to sleep. The body bag of Tina got me every a time. Hours watching later, it now. Yeah. We're good. But the body bag in the hallway and it being lifted up by an imaginary force that you know is Freddy, it works. <laughs> and even having Nancy run out into the hallway and run into the hallway monitor – Where's your pet? That hallway, that hallway monitor scared the shit out of me as a kid because she was just so odd looking. She looked so mean. Yeah. Yep. And then when she gets up and she's wearing the red and green sweater and has the glove on, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I fucking love this scene. Because <laughs> it's pretty, again, like we talked about the arms, he can shapeshift. I mean, he can turn into whatever he wants to. And that's a, a good example of him kind of shifting into this girl. And taunting Nancy and leading her down into the boiler room of the high school where he comes after her. Um, and, and, again, this is Freddy in the movie being a dark character, not like the other sequels. And I love his taunting of Nancy when he's walking down there going, come to Freddy. And then fucking sticking his tongue out, looking at her. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of dark. 
Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. Um, and I noticed it while reading the um, the, the, the synopsis, even on the Xbox. I, I do own this on DVD. Um, I know you had asked me last week, Doc. Yeah. Uh, yes, thankfully I was correct, and somebody did purchase me the entire set of uh, everything from the first movie to Jason vs. Freddy. Oh, Freddy vs. Jason. Um, yeah. So I have that on a DVD set. The other person still has my original set, which has autographed movies mm. in there. So, you know, the bitch. Uh, but anyway, regardless, um, what was I going to say? Now that I'm, uh, you know what? It'll come to me in a second, man. You know, I totally lost my track of thought. But it, it leads Nancy to understand that she could wake herself up from a dream uh, when she puts her arm on the pipe and she wakes up from her dream screaming in class and she has the wealth on her arm from the burn. So she could obviously take herself out of a nightmare if she could find a way to get it. And that's how she finds it in that particular sequence, which I thought was a good example of dream kind of, not powers necessarily, but how you could remove yourself from the situation with Freddy. How you could wake yourself back up. If you do something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. Yeah, and this is where this movie is separating itself from everything else because we're having those moments where we're starting to have the dreams and dreams. We're not sure what's real, what isn't, and this is where this movie is fun and takes you on a different kind of ride because it's starting to make you question what is and what isn't real. Mm-hmm. And it's inception before inception, man. Right. Like, he was way ahead of his time. Um, but we had talked about Rod um, dying in the prison cell, that it was Freddy that obviously did it, but it looks like a suicide. So the cops could easily say he wrapped that sheet around his neck and killed himself because he didn't want to be convicted of Tina's crime. But what I love about the Nightmare series is that they have funerals. He's the victim of the movies. They have funerals for people that are dead. And that's nothing that you get in Friday the 13th because they don't have time. Same thing with Halloween. They don't have time to show you funerals because it happens in one night. But with a nightmare, it goes on for a couple of days, so they have a chance to show you a funeral, which I thought adds yes. the impact of this character's dying. Except okay. Nancy shouldn't be wearing yes, a blue dress no. to a funeral. That bothered okay. me. See, this is this is where I was going to come in with the whole thing at the end here. I think yeah. if you really pay attention to this movie, this movie as a whole is the nightmare. And yes, that's yep. why these sequences occur the way that they do. Just like in a in a dream or a nightmare, you go from one location to the next. You know, you're just there suddenly. Somebody's dead, then you're at their funeral. There's never, like, those sequences in between. And this mm-hmm. movie kind of skirts that line throughout the whole film so that you could actually argue when all is said and done here, you know, was anything that you saw in this movie real? Mm-hmm. Because I did bring up that argument to the monkey last night uh, That this entire film Could be one long Nancy Thompson nightmare I don't know if that explains why she wore a blue dress to a funeral But maybe <laughs> it's so well, The name of the movie The name of the movie is A Nightmare On yeah. Elm Street mm-hmm. So it is Not a just singular nightmare. nightmare That is occurring mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, but, 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 I think, but I think we should definitely revisit this at the end of this episode. Okay. <laughs> but in the meantime, <laughs> moving on. Like you said, back at the um, <clears throat> sorry, funeral at the police station. No, no. We, at the police station is when we have our boy, you know, commit suicide by hanging himself 
with he didn't commit suicide. He got killed by Freddie. I'm just saying what the cops stole. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it's like then we have this weird shit though of uh, you know Freddie somehow coming through into the real world. <laughs> Thank you. <Joel. laughs> And making the sheep move move in the real world. And this is where, again, we, you know, start, after the king had brought this up to me last night, we, you know, it made me start to question shit because everything else that death wise is happening, you're getting killed in your nightmare. But no, in this particular instance, he's getting killed in the real world. Yeah. In this particular instance, we're not seeing his nightmare. And that, I think, is one of those where it's almost like a Jaws type of thing. It might have been the limitations of technology so that it was easier and scarier for them just to show you the result as opposed to showing you what actually led up to said result. Um, I think as we'll see in, in later movies in the franchise... They show you more of the nightmares, and I feel like a lot of times that ends up taking away the impact of the death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. Um, but, yeah, moving on, we have uh, Marge Thompson after the funeral of Rod saying, I know what I have to do. I know what I have to do to help out my daughter. I'm going to take her to the Katya Institute for Dreams. And oh, I'm going to Roger house. Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Take her to the doctor, She's played by Charles Fleischer, the voice of Roger Rabbit, which I thought was amazing. Help. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't know if you guys knew that, that that doctor is Charles Fleischer, who I, was the voice of Roger Rabbit. I did not nice. until you told me last night, man. That was so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Also, the fact that he has a poster of two kittens riding in a trolley for some reason in his office, which I couldn't take my eyes off of when he's talking to Marge. I'm like, why does he have this poster? <laughs> it's such They're a cute poster. As They're far green. as other notable people that I didn't realize until this time around, uh, in the school sequence, Lynn Shay from the fucking yeah. Insidious the and other things is the teacher um, as well. I didn't. I, I don't think I realized that before. And well, uh, she's the sister of Bob Shay, who yep. is the guy that spearheaded and got this going for New Line. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've since learned such, but. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, shit, that's Lin Shay. Well, also, in that scene with Lin Shay is Daryl Hannah's brother that reads the passage about dreams. Wow, that's um, exciting. Yeah, that's actually Daryl Hannah's brother that uh, reads that particular passage. But the, the dream clinic, I, I kind of, that's the scene that I always kind of laugh at, even now. Because you have this doctor talking to Marge about dreams. And this is the guy that studied him. He's got a degree. He knows what he's doing. But he goes, well, I don't know where dreams come from. I don't even know why people have them. Like, you know, it's, it's a mystery to me. It's like, well, that's, that's your, there's your study. Like, that's what you're supposed like, well, I know where dreams come from. It's synapses in your brain. That's why there's I'm not a doctor. <laughs> no, I'm a doctor. I, I think that this is just one of those where they're just trying to insert some science just to, to kind oh, of yeah. satiate yep. the whole, you know, Oh, well, they're nightmares are gonna kill you. Well, they're not real blood to be blah. Well, you know what? He's right. a guy who's kind of discrediting that. He's gonna say, "Hey, you know what? You guys are right. There's no way these nightmares can kill her. But you know, we don't really exactly know what's going on anyway. We don't even know where dreams come from. So maybe you could kill her." 
Yeah, and of course you have him looking at the monitor going, oh, she's in REM sleep now, baby. Hell yeah. Like, she's dreaming now. We're going to find out what's causing her nightmares. Oh, and, and, it's, and it's a good one, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fucking doctor. <laughs> and, yeah, again, I love the fact that it's 1984 because she lights up a cigarette while she's talking to the doctor right in his office. I was like, yeah, I love the 80s. Yeah, but, yeah, because, again, just like, you know, you, we, we go back and watch the original Halloween movies, you know, there's ashtrays on the walls in the hospital. You know, it's, oh, it was, oh, it was the normal. 80s. That's a lovely time. Yeah, it was accepted. Uh, but it oh, leads I remember to... remember in the malls? Everywhere, man. Yeah. <laughs> you were allowed to smoke but, wherever the fuck you were. Yep. The, the most important sequence of this, uh, this particular scene is that when Nancy is awoken, she has Freddy's hat in her hand. She brought it out oh. of her dream. And this is what leads to her understanding that if she's woken up and she has Freddy, she could bring him out into the real world, which is kind of cool to me. I like, I love well, that, that concept of bringing that in. Dream clinic. That didn't happen at the dream clinic. Yes, I did. make that same mistake. No, yeah. it didn't. I always make that same exact mistake. That she she pulls the hat out at the dream clinic. She doesn't. She pulls the hat out, and when she does the testing with Glenn, she gets cut. No. Her arm gets three no. lashes on it at the dream clinic. No. 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 no she pulls no, the because, hat at the dream clinic, then. Yeah, she pulls the hat out from under her sheet and goes, I brought something back. Yeah. Right there at the, at the dream clinic. clinic. So okay. sorry, Google. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, you were on it, man. You had that whole fucking explanation ready to go. So I kind of feel bad, but yeah, no, that's a dream point. And she pulls out the hat, and that's what leads her to question her mom about who the fuck Fred Krueger is. And I like the fact yeah, that because it's Fred Krueger in this movie, not Freddy, Fred Krueger. Yeah, because he writes his name in his hat like it's his uh, underwear. <laughs> yeah. His name is in his hat, mom. His name is right there. I don't know what you're talking about. Nope. Uh, who the fuck is this guy? Like, you know, maybe you just need to go to sleep. Screw sleep and your fucking vodka too. Damn it. Oh, she, smashes, she smashes the bottle of vodka on the floor. That was a new bottle. You owe me a bottle. Yeah, I'd be. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll get one out of the linen closet. Well, because she has the hidey holes. Love the fact yeah. that March has all the hidey holes for her vodka. No matter where it is, she has a hidey spot. I love when she's trying to stand there in the kitchen with it, and she just tries to slide over so that it's hidden behind her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and that, oh, I threw that hat out, too. Yeah, the hat's gone. So don't worry about it. <laughs> just I'll oh, get some sleep. Oh, wait. You mean this one that's in the cabinet right here for some reason? <laughs> it's in the kitchen cabinet? <laughs> It's like, you know what, Nancy? You might have destroyed my vodka, but I still got a whole bottle of gin underneath the sink. So fuck you, too. <laughs> so I remembered what I was going to bring up, and I guess it still works now because we're going to get the explanation of who Fred is from Marge. Um, yeah. At any point in the original, like, you know, try to think back for when you first watched this. Did mm-hmm. you think of Freddy as a child molester? I didn't know. Only because of the the, the uh, school sequence when he's flicking his tongue out at Nancy. I'm like, this is a guy that probably would would fuck her too, other than just kill her. No, but I from the first movie, I never got that because it was, we just get the story of Freddie was going around and killing children. 
We don't get anything about child molester in there. Mm. Uh, Doc, what do you think? Yes. About Freddie being a child molester. Did you get no, that when not, you viewed it? No, not until, you know, not until we're told, you know, the origins, you know. It's not something that I had even considered. Well, even in the origin that we get from Marge, she never says that he's a molester. You know, he no. hurt children, he kills children, but she never, you know, she never states that he is a pedophile in any way. And what, the reason I bring that up is because in the synopsis that they have down for this movie, it is mm-hmm. listed as far as it on the Xbox that he is a pedophile. Now, I know that in Wes Craven's original concept for the film, that is what he wanted to do. Yeah. They felt that it was a little much and that they wanted to dial that back to not go that far with the character. Well, there was also a trial going on at the same time. That movie was being filmed about a guy that killed children but also molested them. So Wes is like, yeah, it's too far. Now, now, King, you had also brought up the whole thing about, okay, so either way, we got Freddy going around, and he's going around killing the kids in the town. you know. But why would the other parents of people that their children weren't harmed form a mob? And you said that there was an entire part that was cut out that possibly explained why this happened. Well, it was during the sequence when Marge is in the basement showing her the glove of Freddy and explaining what they did and how they killed Freddy because of his crimes as a child murderer. But in a deleted scene that didn't make the final cut, Marge explains to Nancy that she had a sister, Glenn had a brother, Rod had a sibling, Tina had a sibling that were twins, and Freddy killed them. God. And that's why the entire mob got together, because they were upset that their kids were dead. So when and the police fucked up and didn't this. sign the warrant properly, they went after Freddy. If the police can't do I'm it, glad they cut it. that out. I'm glad but they cut that out. But why they did it. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, I think that uh, as a parent myself, and I'm sure, you know, the monkey could, could attest to it as well, I would think that if there was a case, and again, we're going, if we were back in, let's say, the 70s, um... You know, not like vigilante justice was the norm back then. But I could see where, you know, if we were in a situation in which we knew without any kind of doubt that this particular person had done it and done it to a number of kids. You're not talking about one. You're talking about many, which is how I took it. Um, You know, I I could easily see a bunch of parents getting together and just being like, you know what, fuck this. You know, especially in a small town in the middle of fucking, you know, bumblefuck USA. With Paul Ray. (laughs) 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 Well, it's also because the original script was supposed to take place in California. Um, It wasn't supposed to take place in Ohio. Like, Springwood was supposed to be in some town in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) But there was never given an exact site of where Springwood was. It wasn't until later where they said it's in Ohio. So... Craven shooting that scene on the bridge with Glenn and Nancy, you see the palm trees, you're like, wait, this is fucking Ohio. But it wasn't Ohio in the original film. It was just Springwood. Like, they didn't have an exact location. So he played it close to that chest where it could be anywhere. So it's like the the Simpsons, where it could be any number of places. Yeah. yeah, It could be anywhere. (laughs) We don't know. But that was the whole point. I just took it as that whole scene was shot outside of a mall in the 80s because all malls had palm trees outside. 
in the 80s. <laughs> it did, didn't matter whether it was in Maine. It didn't matter if it was in California. <laughs> Almost had palm trees outside in the 80s. Just look at any John Hughes movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, everything about the look of that particular scene screamed California. You know, I don't know. Just, just the canal, like just the way it looks. It's just like even as a, even as a younger kid, I kind of just realized like that just didn't make any sense. And like that was before I was really, you know, analyzing films. It just, just didn't look right. It, it just didn't fit the rest of everything else going on. Um, and I liked uh, that Nancy is now reading uh, booby traps and anti-personnel devices because she's going to have all these devices to take on Freddy. Uh, she needs yeah. Glenn's help. Uh, Marge has put bars in the windows, thinking that's going to keep oh, them who? in. You mean that actor Johnny Depp who really doesn't do much in this movie at all and has like little to no nope. lines? Yeah, little, yeah, very little. Uh, we, get to see all of his, we get to see all of his blood. Well, and, but he also we he has that line in the movie. <laughs> his blood, the blood. Oh, his blood. blood. His blood. Yeah, we do get that. But he, he I, I don't say blood, but blood. <laughs> but it's Glenn that has that line to Nancy, where he talks about the culture of people that believe that you can have a nightmare. The Balinese, where if you turn your back on your nightmare and say, you know what, I have control of this, and if I tell you that I don't believe in it, it can go away. And they've written all these songs and poems and things like that about it. So that's what sticks in Nancy's mind as we lead into the finale of the film. Um, but I like the fact that they had that drop line where he talks about those people and how you can eliminate the threat if you could turn your back on it and own your well, dream, he, he, own your nightmare. He, he learned about it in the Jump Street program. <laughs> but yeah I want to talk about uh, Glenn uh, in this uh, particular sequence when he's laying in bed and Nancy has her plan of well I'm going to wake you up at this particular hour you're going to come over here I'm going to get Freddy out of the dream and you're going to kick his fucking ass he's like what <laughs> uh, uh, I love you but no I <laughs> think it's not a good idea so why don't you just I... we'll get some sleep Nancy you know what I always wondered about with Glenn? I always wondered if he was supposed to have been played like the football jock. Mm-hmm. Um, reason why I say that is from Rod's introduction, the whole fact that he kind of like tackles him, does the whole crowd goes wild thing. Like it yeah. would have made more sense had, you know, him or Glenn been of that nature, as opposed to being the greaser from the 50s and the overly, I mean, I don't know, overly skinny boy wearing fucking football-style half shirt, I guess. That weird half shirt that he wears. Well, we do have oh, the line I mean, that, 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 that was the fashion of the 80s, man. But, but Nancy does drop the line saying, you are the jock. You've got a baseball bat or something laying around. So Yeah, and she calls him a know, wuss. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to take out the child killer that she's going to drag out of her dream. Yeah, no, I'm good. The, the, the nightmare demon that's been killing you and our friend, you know, all of our friends, yeah. or a baseball, yeah. a baseball. I'll bat. be right over to punch him in the face. I got you, babe. <laughs> you know. No, but, but either he, way, he, either way, he's got one job. He's got to stay awake till midnight. That's his one fucking job. Is all he's got to do. Tired, man. <laughs> yeah. 
Why? Long day, man. Play. You got to get your rest. It's like crucial. But I love the fact that he falls asleep, of course, before midnight, like and his mom wakes him up, and she's like, how could you watch TV and listen to music at the same time? He's like, well, I was waiting for Miss Nude to come on. Well, how could you listen to what they have to say? Well, who cares what they have to say? I'm like, ooh, burn unit. Just burn those Miss Nude units. <laughs> you know, such a great line from him. But the fact that you have across the street Nancy laying in bed, her mom's like, all right, good night, Nancy. I guess I'll see you tomorrow. And she's like, oh, no more bad dreams, right? I'm going to take out your coffee cup, and I'm going to take out your no-dos, and good night, Nancy. And once the door closes, she immediately pulls out a fucking coffee pot that's already on and brewing coffee and drinks it. No, I was like, her mom didn't no, smell no, right. No, okay, wait, right not just a coffee pot. Bed. It's a coffee machine. It's a, co- it's a whole coffee machine, not just a it's coffee It's a white song, and it's brewing coffee. <laughs> it's fucking like she didn't coffee. notice the other plug in the outlet when she unplugged the first one, you know? Yeah, she wouldn't smell it either, freshly brewed coffee. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah nor did she think it smelled like a 7-Eleven first thing in the morning, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, guess I got all my uh, coffee pots out of here. Good night, Nancy. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's in the fucking hallway taking out that bottle of vodka from the pantry. You're like, oh, hey, there it is. Found it. Yeah, where is Nancy finding this collection of coffee machines, man? I mean, you know, last I checked, she is a high school student that doesn't appear to have a job. You know, I mean, we don't see her going to work at any point, nor do we ever hear them mention any kind of, of working environment. No. They don't have to see her back, stealing from the bodega down the street, all the coffee pots. And back then, <laughs> Mr. Coffees were like 50 bucks a pop, man. <laughs> She's got five. <laughs> She's ready to go. I um, was, you know, the 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 Glenn death man. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about you next. Know, so go ahead. Yeah. I uh, it's one of those sequences. I love the sequence. You know, I love watching him get pulled into the bed. It scared mm-hmm. me as a kid. The geyser of blood. You know, it's not as scary as him getting yanked down into the bed. Um, right. I just yep. found that to be like kind of like the, the, the clown pulling the kid under the bed and poltergeist. Again, similar mm-hmm. thing. It's out of your control. You're getting yanked by a force that you just – there's nothing that you can do about it. And there's no way your parents are going to help you. They're, they're, you know, you're, you're just fucked. Um, that being said, I – and again, even as a kid and to this very day, I really wish we could have seen – what his dream or nightmare was, you know, like what occurred that in that dream that turned him into a fucking fountain geyser of blood out of his bed. I wonder okay, if even hold on, hold on, hold on, dude. Because, but you literally just said ten minutes ago that you think that the dreams take away from the death. So which one is in it? The later, it's like, in the it's later just, films, yes, but this particular movie. And especially this particular sequence, like again, yeah. Tina gets cut up by razors. Rod yeah. gets hung. It's all somewhat based death in reality, you know. This is a geyser of blood flowing out of a bed. I mean, the fucking coroner, the coroner is in the bathroom puking, okay, because he couldn't even look at the damn thing. You know, John Saxon looks in the room and is like, you know, one of those, like, regurge moments. I would love to have known what occurred that put this kid into that shape. 
I love when the paramedics show up with the stretcher and they're like, you're not going to need that. <laughs> you're not going to need that. Yeah, that's like just a, like a line in the background, man. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It was great. Now, um, now this, but, yeah, this, Doc, what do you think about Glenn's death being pulled underneath the bed? I mean, look, that's, uh, I, I think I kind of hear what the ghoul is saying about wanting to see what happened to him, but I feel that uh, for its time uh, and just the sheer volume of blood that was used, of the special effect oh, that yeah. was used, I feel that the opening of the hole in the bed and the kind of slow gush that begins to start, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we have we have 30-something years of movies since then and countless horror movies in all levels of gore. Uh, that, and, and yes, you can think about, oh, like the shining before it with all the blood in the elevator and some other gory stuff, but like, that was like a, a, such a, a such a massive amount of bloodletting on screen that like I feel that that scene is like not the pinnacle death in the movie but it's so humongously iconic. Um, oh yeah. I never thought. Oh, I wonder what's happening to him because like I've seen that. I remember going, "Holy fucking shit! That is so much fucking blood on the screen." Um, yeah, you know, it's different watching. It's maybe a little bit different watching it now, but like that was so horrifying uh, seeing this movie way back when, uh, and so like unforgettable uh, in a way. Well, in yeah, every absolutely. way, <laughs> unforgettable. Didn't you say there was a scene that was cut out during this whole gushing thing? Yeah, with Johnny Depp's body being regurgitated from the bed. They did shoot a scene where his body pops out of the bed again before Freddy drags him back down to the hell scene. Uh, uh, his body pops out briefly. Yeah. He's covered in blood, slashes all over his chest, yeah. and then Freddy drags him back down mm. after the mom and, goes screaming out of the room. But that blood, right, and, um, Craven said that the reason why they had the geyser the way that it was was supposed to represent all of Freddy's victims. That's why there was so much blood. It was supposed to be the culmination of all his victims' blood being just jettisoned out of his bed at the same time. Not just Johnny's blood, but everybody's blood that he's ever killed coming out of his bed at the same time. And they used the same room that they used for Tina's death in the scene to make that blood come out of that room. A costly effect that almost killed Wes Craven when he filmed it due to it malfunctioning at the time. Right, cause Which you again, like the, the, I'm glad they never tried to explain that that was, you know, the blood of everybody. I mean, yeah, look, it obviously looked like a hell of a lot more blood than, than could be held in a human body. But <laughs> I think if they were going to try to to sell us on, you know, oh, this is all the deaths, you know, that he caused. I think, you know, the first thing people are going to do is say, well, there was only been two. You know, we only saw Tina and Rod before this. so. Well, you don't know how many children he killed before that, though. They don't really give you a number. Yeah, which again, I count Freddy's murders when he was alive versus the murders when he was, you know, as a dream demon. Like that's that I think is one of those things that you, you know, I don't know. I take it that this is the first time that these things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, right. 
as far as I you agree. know Freddy invading people's dreams. You know, as far as the the films go, we never. And you know, thankfully, it's not one of those cases in which other films come out and they show us. You know, oh, Freddy has been doing this since the 1970s and invading dreams right. and all that. Um, I, I'm always glad that no matter what, it always seems to be established that what we see here is the beginning of him as this dream demon. Yeah, I completely agree well, with that. Yeah, well, also ahead, it's, uh, it's it's because also you know these this is when we have you know first establish the parents of Dream Street. I mean, of Elm Street, you know, and they're the <laughs> ones who started all of this, you know. So yeah, it, it starts off with the next generation of their kids going on, and that's Freddy's first victim are are the kids of Elm Street. Right, that's who he's getting revenge on by killing the children. Elm Street, which is a great point to make. Um, but then after Glenn has been killed and Nancy understands that Glenn's dead, uh, when she calls to her dad saying, you know what, Daddy, in 20 minutes you need to come over here because I'm going to get this sucker and you have to arrest him. And he's like, well, tell me who it is, baby. I'll go and arrest him right now. And she's like, trust me, Dad. I got this. I'm going to home alone the shit out of this finale. I'm going to fucking <laughs> Kevin McAllister this entire finale with my sledgehammer and my light with a shotgun fucking bullet. And I'm like, man, she is ready with those anti-personnel devices when she drags Freddy out of the dream. Man, and again, this this is what also just lends towards, you know, my opinion that this whole thing is a dream. Because, you know, she's telling her dad, you know, to, to be here by, you know, half past 12, and we know that Johnny Depp got killed at midnight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to take into account how much time normally passes for ambulances to arrive, for the cops to arrive and all that. But, you know, we'll, we'll discredit that. Obviously, they literally got there within a flash. Um, so for her to be like, yeah, you know, you know get here at, at half past. You know, she's going to have everything set up and get herself to sleep and do all of this within a 20-minute period. It's great, though. When she drags Freddy out of the dream, and then she's chasing him down out of her bedroom, and she's like, come on, Freddy, come get me, Freddy. (laughs) Now she's, like, emboldened, where she knows that she can take him on. And he's falling for it. Gets hit by the sledgehammer. He's falling over the place. He hits the lamp with the shotgun bullet in it, and he falls over. Mm-hmm. It's just he uh, doesn't know what to do now because he's in the real world. He's not in the dreamscape anymore. So now he's faced with real life. Like, now he's just, I got to fucking kill this bitch. I'm done. Like, no more fucking ahas. You know, I'm going to kill her. And I just, I, I like the chase of the house. Yeah, but during this whole scene, it's like, I was waiting for some Scooby-Doo chase music to start. It was just, it was just a bad scenario. It it really was the, just the whole home alone thing. It's it's I I'm glad they got rid of this approach later. <laughs> well, as a and monkey as a fan of practical burns, you have to appreciate the oh, oh, burn. Oh, oh, okay, okay, oh, okay. We're going okay. We're going to the burn. Okay, we're going to the burn. Yeah, f- fuck yeah, yes. This, this fucking full body burn. Oh man, it was so fucking badass. Full on top to bottom. I, I fucking loved it. Um, now, didn't you say this? Because you were telling me this is like one of the longest on-screen burns of all time. Is that As of said? that time, yes. It was the longest burn in cinema history. Anthony Sarisi was a stuntman that did this burn. 
Um, and he actually won an award the same year for this particular burn that he did because it was one continuous shot, even though there is a slight cut uh, when Freddie runs up the stairs. He was still on fire during that entire time. So it's one of the longest burns recorded. Yeah, yeah there's a cut, but all of the burn sequences were all shot in one entire sequence. That's right. And that's what yeah, led him to just, win that award oh, because man, it's such it an just, amazing effect. Like that's an actual person being set on fire and running upstairs and then being knocked yeah. downstairs mm-hmm. on fire. Yeah. Again, it's just, you know, you know, no, you know, stay safe, stuntmen, you know, go out there and do your job. But fuck yeah, I'll take a real life Burning Man over CGI any fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what did you guys think about the fact that after this is all happening, Nancy goes to run up the stairs to call out to the police uh, officer that's outside watching her house going, come on, get my dad, you idiot. He's like, maybe I should go get Lieutenant. No, <laughs> no, but she's maybe. also breaking all the – she's breaking every fucking window she can yep. find, you know, yep. breaking everything. It's, I'm sorry, man. In the suburbs, in the 80s, you know, you even fucking spit on the sidewalk. The cops are all over you like fucking <laughs> – no, 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 yeah. It's like, I don't know. Maybe should we call about – that teenager that's going around and breaking all her own windows? I don't know. <laughs> Let's probably go tell the lieutenant. And that's what I told the monkey, too, is that the guy that plays the police officer in this film, that's Joseph Whip, who went on to play the police chief in the first Scream film. So, Wes Craven mm. went back and said, cool. this guy needs to be in my movie. So, still no, playing the cop. That's an interesting but, fact. But he stayed in the same department and got promoted through Wes Craven movie. See, well, he just went to Woodsboro. He left Springwood to oh. oh, he got a transfer. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> and he got a promotion. He didn't fucking get her faster. He didn't get the lieutenant fast enough. No, he didn't because he waited. And that's a, also what leads uh, me to think about what the ghoul said about it being a nightmare. Because you would think that the police would act faster. You have a girl screaming at the top of her lungs, somebody help me. And they're like, wow, that's crazy what's going on across the street, right? Like, Everything that's happening in this end sequence is just, again, it all rolls into it being a nightmare. Um, You know, even from when they get into the house to, you know, she has him trapped in the basement. Yet when they get there, they open that door. And, you know, during that time, the fire footprints like magically appear. It's like, you know, yeah. you didn't happen to see the guy that was on fire that walked around everything. Again, it's, it's a dream, and that's why. Everything is going in the order that a dream does. Things appear in a dream, you know. They say that people's memories of their dream fill out the yep. information in your brain. But then when you actually are in the middle of a dream, it doesn't happen consecutively. You're not dreaming that you know, you're walking from point A to point B in your actual dream, you just appear from point A to point B. It's when you wake up at a later point that your brain just automatically fills in those gaps. Um, so, you know, unless you're trained in lucid dreaming in which you have full control of your dreams, which, you know, I mean, obviously there, there's no full science to that kind of thing yet. Not okay. yet, and it's well, something that's still going on. Uh, I'm sorry, Monkey, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but as they get upstairs, then we find Freddie on fire, dry humping Marge in the bed. And <laughs> she wanted it. Well, he's strangling her. He's got that fire. He was a hot date. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but that's the question I wanted to ask uh, you guys, and according to the doc, uh, <clears throat> when Freddy's on fire and he's choking Marge to death, uh, when Don puts the blanket over Freddy to put out the fire, you have the reveal of a skeleton laying in the bed with that blue light coming out from beneath the skeleton, and the skeleton raises its hand up in the air as a, almost to say goodbye. This has to be a fucking nightmare. There's no way this is happening right now. Like, are we seeing this? This house, this house is clean. But, Doc, what do you think about the demise of Marge's house? Like, this has to be everybody having a collective nightmare. I feel so hot. <laughs> I feel <laughs> on fire. Um, like that, that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Burning. Um, I, it's just, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. You know, again, uh, there's like the two sides of a coin with, with a movie like this. If I'm watching this now, uh, as a grown-up, maybe I'm thinking this when I'm watching this as a kid. I have no idea what the fuck is going on. All I know is that like I'm having the living shit scared out of me by something I had never seen before. The movie. Um, so it's hard to say. Like, oh, for me, it's hard for me to put a stamp on whether I think, oh, there's no way this is happening or this is a nightmare. Uh, and I know we're coming to the to the ending, which I, I have some thoughts about too. Uh, that I'll share when we get there, because I kind of feel, I kind of feel, you know, I have these like weird feelings about it. Yeah, um, because you have the the body of the skeleton going into the bed. Nancy tries to stop it, but the bed turns into a solid form again, and the skeleton's yep. gone. Don Thompson doesn't know what the fuck just happened. He's like, I, I don't even know what the fuck just happened. I, oh, I yeah, I'm, I, I'm gonna go downstairs. I'm in this movie. Um, I want to have Freddie. Coming up from the sheets of the bed, slashing him open and saying, "Now you die." Slowly. Love, just yes. like the scene of him coming through the wall. I love yep. the sequence of him coming up through the sheet. I love the such blood staining like into the yep. sheet. It just, mm-hmm. and it just, yeah, it's such a great visual. It's so great. And then when he slashes the sheet open and he goes, "Now you die," and she turns her back on him and says, "No, I'm not going to die." I want my mother back, and I want my friends back. And he goes, you what? Like, you know, like, you can't have them back. Like, I killed them, and now you're going to be my next victim. And she goes, no, I don't believe in you. You're shit, and that's it. I'm going to walk out of this room, and you're going to be done. Mm. And that's how Freddy meets his demise. He goes to attack her, Uh, and he disappears into a weird 1984 effect of, you know, weird static. Yeah, and this is where, unfortunately – we start the very bad habit from the very first movie of, you know, like I told you, you know, nightmare movies are a lot like Stephen King movies where they're great rides, but they always have terrible endings about how they dispatch Freddy. They're always, always horrible about how they dispatch Freddy. And unfortunately, it starts with this movie. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just never really gone. The start of it. No, he's always there. (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted to th- I wanted to leave this to the doc because I know you wanted to talk about the finale, which has three different endings tacked onto it. Uh, so I wanted to get his perspective on the finale after Freddy's defeated, and you have Nancy walking out into a new day. It's a new day. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> doc. So take yeah, us so into this uh, ending. 
Right. So, you know, she walks out the door and uh of her know, mother's bedroom. Yep. Into the light which is so um it has a different look to it than the rest of the film, any of the scenes that are outside. Um, yeah. It's so vastly different. Uh, there's like a pale, there's like this bright kind of palish hue to it. I don't know if I would call it smoky, but there's just something that looks different about it. Like there's something weird. Um, mm-hmm. And then, then this car rolls up and, oh, all her friends. Are, that have been killed are there alive. Um, she goes, she gets in the car. She told him know. she wanted him back. No, I, I understand that. I understand that. Um, I know she told him that, but in whether where this whole movie is a nightmare or not, her friends are dead. Um, yeah. But the roof of the car goes on. The roof of the car is the colors of the sweater. Um, and she starts to panic as they drive away. And I don't know, if you're standing looking at a car, you can obviously see the amount of panic that's going on inside of the car as they drive away. Mm-hmm. Mom is just like smiling and waving, and then her obviously fake mannequin body is pulled into <laughs> the window. <laughs> um, <laughs> fucking, fucking loved it, you know? Loved like, it. Uh-huh. Uh, I, 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 I truly have never known... Uh, what to make of this film because everything that's going on in the sequence is so bizarre from the look on mom's face after they drive away. Like there's something kind of like her happy, her happy waving face like goes away. And there's like a look of like, I don't know if I would call it evil or disturbed. Like it just changes. Her whole face changes. We see the little kids skipping so rope in the nursery rhyme, and then she's pulled through the fucking window. I don't know. The, the, the ending of this movie forever has, like, made me confused forever. Yeah. Yeah, because it's three different endings. <laughs> That's the problem. Is that you don't have just one. You have all three pushed into one movie because they couldn't decide how they wanted to end it. They didn't know if they wanted to give you the Wes Craven happy ending of her having all her friends back and going, all right, Mom, see you later. And then they all drive off, and it's just fun. And, like, yeah, Freddy's defeated. Do you have it? So you could set up a sequel with the drop top coming down, with the red and green drop top. And then they're like, oh, no, we're getting taken away by Freddy. Help us, Mom. Oh, maybe we want to have it where Marge gets sucked through the fucking window at the end. They didn't know how they wanted to end this movie. So they just said, you know what? We're just going to put every ending that we thought of and put it in the end. That's why it's so confusing. Because they just didn't know what solid ending they wanted to have. I never found it confusing. I just always found it that, you know, again, like I said, I just thought it was either, you know, it was the continuation of the nightmare because it was not over. You know, it was Freddy doing what Freddy does, you know, plays with the victim. Sometimes playing with the victim makes the victim think that they win. And, you know, that's just the means of continuing the nightmare. You know, and these are things that we'll see him do in later films. You know, the the second movie will end in a similar fashion in which, you know, you think that Freddy's been vanquished only to find out that the story just continues on. And that's what I've always liked about Freddy is that I never really felt like he was ever defeated. I think it's just a temporary setback for Freddy Krueger. Like, you could think that you defeated him, but he's not. Like, he's going to come back. 
in some way, shape, or form. they had the Freddy versus Jason that way, you know. I mean, we saw that movie in that same manner, you know. Yeah. Um, But as we close out, who would have thought that Freddy Krueger, based on this film, would become such a pop culture icon of the horror genre? You know, watching this movie, you wouldn't think that. But then you realize how many movies that they made, how much MTV benefited off of him, how many action figures, how many games, how many costumes that they made out of Freddy. You would never think you would see a kid dressed up like a child killer for Halloween. And yet, there he was. Freddy became a happy mainstay. Yeah. And, and And they acknowledged it in later movies, you know. But, yeah, became a huge icon. Sorry, Google. What were you I mean, he, he, no, I mean, I was the same. Just, you know, he hit into the same pantheon as Jason and Michael and, and all of them. I mean, you know, he, uh, he was a different slasher because of his method, which was mm-hmm. what was very cool. Um, you know, everybody else was just mm-hmm. blunt force, and Freddie got at you in a way that the other guys didn't. Um, and yeah, I think that's that. what led to him being successful. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, Doc, about the, the legacy of Freddy and how he became such a, a icon of pop culture? Um, you know, it's not something watching this that you ever would have thought. Right. Uh, you know, like Jason, like Michael, like Leatherface, he has become... I guess for our generation growing up, the Frankenstein, the Dracula um, type of long living movie characters that will continue to hold their place as we move into the future. Uh, These characters became, I mean, I was Jason for Halloween one year when I was a little, not a little Mm -hmm. kid, but when I was like, you know, 12 or 13 or something like that, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, these, these char- just like maybe when I was younger than that, when I was ten, I might have been fucking Dracula. Um, you know, uh, these are these are characters that have become these kind of global uh, icons that even even for kids that haven't even maybe seen a Friday the Thirteenth movie, know Jason and have maybe even been Jason for for Halloween. Um, there's no way to have known that watching this movie at 10 years old. You don't think in things like that, you know? Um, this All is right, what happened in the first. sitting there going, my God, this would be such a great franchise. <laughs> right? <laughs> you would never think that. Um, Especially but... because in that time, in that time period for genre, for the genre, like, there weren't big, yeah, there were some horror movies, series that yeah. had sequels, but there weren't ones that had these kind of these iconic. Friday the Thirteenth was up to part four by this time. Part four. Well, no, part four. Friday the yeah. was up to part five at this. No, four. no, eighty four was part four. Four. Okay, right. so they 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 were at four. At All right. Point, so, so so in a way in a way the groundwork there is kind of being laid. Halloween was at three um, by this point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, we, we, we can't, can't really count it because three. So. Right, but three also went in a different direction as far as an iconic character. Correct. Uh, the Michael right. character. Um, okay, but Jaws we're, but we're running out was of that time. three. <laughs> yeah, but that's right. a fish. <laughs> there were a lot of... Everybody was trying to make franchises with sequels. They wanted characters that lasted long, man. They wanted that yeah. money, and they wanted that return money. Yeah, and yeah. I will close that with this, with Freddie. What made him different, uh, which is that you didn't 
up until Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 84, slashers were masked killers that didn't speak, and their identities were revealed at the end, but you had Freddy with a knife glove, and he talked, and he taunted you, and he had fun with it. So they played with it in the 80s, and they made him into an icon because he could talk to you, and he could taunt you, and he could make jokes, and that's what set him apart from Michael and from Leatherface. And he was a reverse revenge Yes. You know, and, like, that's mm-hmm. something that we got to remember. Wes Craven, you know, starts with Last House on the Left, which mm-hmm. is a revenge film. Yep. And this is, in its own essence, another revenge film, except this time the villain is getting revenge for crimes that he actually committed. It would be like if Krug and Company came back to life yes. and started torturing, mm-hmm. you know, all of that family all over again just because of <laughs> yeah. what they did to them for what they did wrong in the first place. It really is Absolutely. a very twisted, complicated character, man. It really is. There's a lot of depth to it. And also music videos by Dokken, uh the Fresh Prince, <laughs> getting involved, the Fat Boys. You know, I mean, they, they were all having fun talking about a child murderer that could have fun at the same time. And that's what made him such an icon. But I do like the fact that you brought the last house on the left. Because imagine that, last house on the left part two, where they're undead and getting revenge. That would have been fucking insane. But uh, as we conclude, uh, I believe it is the Mad Monkeys pick next week. So do you have a selection for us? I do. Uh, let's see here. We'll pick a movie from 1984 this week. Um, next week, we're going to pick a movie from 1985. We're going to go a little bit punk rock, a little bit zombie. So we're going to go ahead and go with Return of the Living Dead. We're next week's pick. Okay. All right. Wow. We'll try Oxen okay. 245 next week. <laughs> Daniel Bannon classic. I'm excited for that one. I haven't seen it in a while. This will be my first time seeing it, so I am excited about covering this next week, guys. I can't believe it's your first wow, time. You've never, you've never hey. seen this one. Wow, man. Yeah. Look yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, horror fan card removed until next week. Oh, I would never say that to anybody, man. You know, I'm just wrong. We don't have horror what? movie fan cards. <laughs> you know, so, nothing to take away. What? But, but yeah. we do have Talking Terror collectible cards for all your favorite horror hosts. Go to Talking Terror on our Facebook page and <laughs> download your favorite character today. <laughs> all right. So anyway, it, uh, uh, Doc, thank you so much for joining us tonight and the discussion. It was great. I'm glad that you enjoyed my pick, and hopefully we'll see you here next week for Return of the Living Dead. I'm so excited. I can hardly wait. Contain that excitement until next week. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Monkey, again, thank you for joining us in this discussion of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm uh, glad that we King, had this talk. King, thanks for making such a great pick, and I'm your horror host, Mad Monkey. Thanks. thanks for letting me come in your ear. <laughs> Good night, sir. All right. Why don't you hit us with a plug as we close out, Ghoul? Listen, don't be a victim of nightmares. Do you know that there are a lot of gemstones and other natural methods to eliminate dreams that are bad get yourself a dream catcher get yourself some cocaine you'll never go to sleep get yourself some jewelry from bonfire bead designs you know there are plenty of natural gems out there that do ward off bad dreams i can't tell you any of them because i don't know that shit but the ghoul girl does and she makes all kinds of stuff that wards off these things so head on over to her page it's 
Bonfire Bee Designs, all one word on Etsy. And, uh, and yeah, go buy some shit, man. All right. Take us out. Stay scared. And until next we meet, where we talk about the Dan O'Bannon 1985 classic, Return of the Living Dead. We're so glad that you joined us tonight. Enjoy the rest of your week and stay awake because you never know when Freddy Krueger is going to come to claim your soul. Until next time, and keep America strong, watch horror movies. We're your boyfriends now, Talking Terror fans. Send more. <laughs>